Thank you so much, Natasha. All right, one of the announcements I just want to bring some attention to is we've got baptisms coming up on uh, February 23rd. And if you have not been baptized, uh, we would love to join you in this process and invite you to participate with us And because uh, we would love to baptize you. You see, baptism is one of those next steps. And if you read through the New Testament, what you see over and over and over and over again is somebody comes to Jesus, uh, they say, hey, I want to I follow after the Lord. And then almost immediately, in some cases, immediately, uh, they are baptized. And so we want to help you in this decision. Uh, very simple process, but profound in your life. It's following after the Lord in his footsteps because this is exactly what he did. Jesus himself was baptized and encourages us to be baptized as well. It's kind of a picture of what's happened on the inside in an outward way and just say, hey, I'm loving Jesus with all my life. And so we'd love to have that, uh, have that take place in your life. You can sign up in the lobby uh, today or next week. And then also online, go to lifechurchutah.com. Uh, we have an online form there we'd love uh, for you to fill out as well. So make sure you get baptized. It's a very important step uh, in your life. Uh, and then over the past couple of weeks, um, just prior to this new series starting in Philippians, uh, we were talking about the new normal. And one of the challenges that we want to keep in front of you is the fact that uh, the new normal shouldn't just be during the series in the month of January, that this should be part of your life uh, moving forward. So reading the word, prayer, uh, grace, and fasting. And I've got a couple, can I tell you a couple of stories of fasting that I thought were just very, uh, very fun? Um, this, this story comes out of our ranger program. That's our, our boys, uh, boys program. A couple of third grade ranger boys, uh, was, they were overheard. This is a conversation overheard just this last week. Um, boy number one, thanks for handing out candy to the younger kids. That was really cool. But my brother and I have given up sugar for the fast. Now, I'm here to tell you it wasn't the brother and I. It was mom and dad said, you ain't eating sugar. <laughs> That's what that was. But kids picked it up and they're, they're, you know, no sugar for the fast. And boy number two, man, that must be hard. Boy number one, not really. Boy number two, do you know what would be really hard to give up? Legos. <laughs> boy number one, that would be so hard. Boy number two, I don't know what I would do if I couldn't build Legos every day. Boy number one, me either. Giving up sugar is way easier than that would be. <laughs> I just love that. That is fantastic. So the kids are getting it, even as young kids, getting the heart of like, hey, it's got it, you know, to cost me something, and I'm going to build my way into giving up Legos, because that's, uh, that's a little more difficult there. Now, you know there's a new show out there called Lego Masters. Oh, I haven't watched it yet, but I cannot wait. But anyway, that's a whole other side. Heard from somebody else, and this is what they said. Said, I have fasted from mindless things such as video games and nonsense television. That is a fantastic thing to fast from. And, and here's the results. Not only has it helped me focus more, but it's made a peace inside of me that helps me with prayer. I love that. And when this becomes a new normal of our life, when we start saying, all right, I'm going to give up uh, this, or I'm going to give up this activity, whatever it is, I'm going to replace it with a spiritual discipline like prayer, replace it with praise, replace it with something. I believe God's going to, in this new normal in your life, God's going to do some incredible things. And so I rejoice uh, with, uh, with what the Lord's already doing in our kids and in this one individual that I, uh, that I mentioned. So, all right, getting right to it for this service today. How many of you have a bad attitude? Right now, you've got to, all right. How many of you have ever had a bad attitude in your life? Raise your hand really quickly. My hand is raised with you as well, all right? Obviously, you hit a chord there. Everybody's like, yeah, no, 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 I got this bad attitude. Pointing to people, you've got a bad attitude right now. Um, so attitudes are comprised of three parts of our life. 
kind of our emotions, our behaviors, and our thoughts, kind of what we're thinking. So that's where our attitudes kind of begin to, uh, are, they, they form and they find expression through our emotions, our behaviors, and our thinking. I heard it said um, the other day, this guy named William James said, it is our attitude at the beginning of a difficult task more than anything else will affect its successful outcome. Our attitude at the beginning of a difficult task affects the outcome. And I, and I agree with that. If you go into a tough situation or a, or, a, or, a, or a tough opportunity and your attitude is terrible at the beginning of it, how many of you know that you're going to have a tough time completing whatever that project is that's in front of you? All right, so we're going to deal with attitudes today. And uh, how many of you ready? Say amen. amen. All right, good. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. So um, first thing, attitude. Got a couple of pictures here. They're going to help reveal some attitudes that are deep within us. Here's the first picture. Ugh, right? Okay. So where does that attitude of come from? Well, our attitudes start with our beliefs. That's where they start. At the very, very core, our attitudes are an expression of our beliefs. So how many of you have a belief that this snake is trying to kill you? Right? So if the snake's trying to kill you, your attitude that's going to show up because that's your belief, your attitude is, ugh, run, get away from it. However, if, if somebody has never seen a snake, has never heard about a snake, has never touched a snake, I mean, no, no interaction at all with a snake, do you think their attitude might be very different than yours? Right? And so it, it arises from that core uh, belief that you have about the snake, that that, for many, you know, represents the devil. You know, and so therefore, I've got a bad attitude about snakes. I know it's trying to kill me. It's going to bite me. Anybody ever been bitten by a snake real quick? Besides like a garter snake or something like that, like something real. You've been bitten by something real. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And you still love snakes. That's, uh, that's great. She, she, she nodded her head. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And so, so without that, that fundamental belief that we have that the snake is okay, like I believe snakes are okay. I'm very fine with snakes. They don't freak me out. I'm not Indiana Jones, okay? I'm not freaked out by, uh, by the snakes. Another picture here. This is a good one. Even worse for some, how many of you are like more freaked out by spiders than you are snakes, right? Okay, yeah. Spiders can be very creepy uh, for me as well. Anybody remember the old school movie, Arachnophobia? Way, way, way back there. Yeah, scared me to death. All right, so spider, this is like a bird spider, I believe, and uh, it eats birds. So that's very cool. Uh, that's how big it is. I mean, it's like, it's bigger than my hand, okay? It's a big, big, big spider. But our belief affects our attitude about this spider, now, I'm fascinated by, by things like this. Now, I'm not going to go out and hunt down and let it crawl over me and everything because my attitude would not be good at that moment, I don't think. Another one. Um, by the way you're responding, <laughs> can I say something really quickly as your pastor? Is it okay if I step on some toes today? Is that, is that okay if I, if I do that? Well, I'm going to do it anyway, so. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, attitude shows up based on our belief. And when we post things online where the attitude is such that it basically reveals a belief that a person who holds a different political view than you do that they are irredeemable, that is a wrong belief that shows up then with an attitude that is not helpful in today's world. So can I, yeah, thank you. Um, 
We have enough division in our world without politics. We point to politics as the primary focus of it so many times and not trying to curtail people's ability to, to, to support and to love their candidates and all that stuff. Okay, nothing there. I mean, I've got my own beliefs, right, on that stuff. However, we've got to be careful that we do not in, in any way, I believe, negate the gospel of Christ in the process of expressing our attitude and opinions about someone that comes from a, a different side of the aisle, so to speak. Because ultimately, folks, we are responsible for telling people about Jesus. We're not responsible for supporting one side or another when it comes to political views. And it's not that we can't be involved in politics. In fact, I invite all of you, please be involved in politics. Please let the voice of the gospel of Christ be seen through your life in a world that seems very, very dark, right? But online and the way that we express ourselves, I am just urging you, don't make people offended by the things that you post online about politics. Allow them to be offended about your stance for Jesus Christ uh, being the only way to heaven. Allow that to be, let the gospel be the thing that shapes who we are and be very, very careful what's out there online because our attitude shows through and sometimes that attitude reveals that we have a belief that folks that don't agree with us can't ever come to Jesus. And that is just not the case, all right? So just a little caution in our world today coming up. We've got election happening here in just a little while, and it's only going to get worse. Why can't we be a shining example of what Jesus called us to do? And man, let's share Jesus every opportunity we get, all right, folks? So thank you. So I've got strong opinions about politics. I think all of us do, right? But we just have to be super, super careful. And then the last picture here. Um, is basically just the generic picture of a church, the cross, a steeple. And I mean, we've got one out in the front of our building um, as well. And you coming in here for the very first time, some of you are first-time visitors, and there's an attitude that's already there walking in based on a belief that you have about the way that the church is. You've, you've got this idea, and maybe it's been shaped by what you've seen posted online from some of the people here at Life Church or other churches, right? But ultimately... Um, what we believe about the cross should shape the reality of our attitude that we have to the world around us. Um, Paul, well, here's a, here's a great story about attitude. A little boy was in a heated argument with his sister about who was going to get the last brownie. Ever been in that position before, trying to get the last brownie? Um, I'm the dad of the house, so I get the last brownie. No, okay. Um, <laughs> you'll find out how wrong that attitude is here in just a minute. Um, his mother overheard the loud discussion in their kitchen and came in to resolve the conflict. Her two children were obviously very distraught about getting the final treat. Sensing the need to teach a deeper truth, the mom asked her children the ever-relevant question, what would Jesus do? The older sibling immediately answered, that's easy. Jesus would break the brownie and make 5,000 more. <laughs> so that's a smart kid with a good attitude right there. That is, I love it. That belief that Jesus can cause an abundance. I uh, love that. So Paul's writing to the church, and um, the, last week we talked about how in this process of Paul writing, he was very concerned about what he was hearing from the church. Some, one of the other leaders came to him in prison and said, hey, the church is very concerned, and they feel like that you know, the gospel has stopped because you're in prison. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. 
boy, imitate me in this moment as I imitate Jesus because even the difficult moments of our life, the suffering moments, the, the, the problem times of our life, these can prove to be something where we can tell Jesus to other people that would otherwise never hear the gospel of Christ. And he pointed to the guards that he was able to witness to and, and other people in the church that were emboldened by the way that he was handling his own uh, time of suffering. And so um, Paul is not known for being soft in his words, and he just keeps the, uh, the, the pedal to the metal, so to speak, and continues on in, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, challenging the church to look at themselves differently. And uh, one of the things always to keep in mind, I know I sh- I've shared this from time to time, but when, when the Bible was written, it was not written with chapters and verses, I don't know if you knew that or not, but Paul, when he was writing, wasn't writing, uh, you know, Philippians chapter one, verse one, and Mark, that was not at all. This was a letter that was written. And so when Paul's writing it, it's intended to be read from, you know, from beginning to end, uh, one kind of sitting uh, moment. And so we, we, unfortunately, with the chapters, we end with a chapter, and then you pick it up again, a, you know, a day later or a week later, however, however that works in your own life. And then you go, okay, what just happened? And so uh, we're supposed to read these things together all, you know, all together. And so what Paul is writing in Philippians chapter 2 is directly correlated to what happened in Philippians chapter 1, and in fact is kind of informed by what Paul just wrote about suffering and how the church should be responding in those moments. And so Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, he says this. Remember, this is kind of going back to chapter 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ... If any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests. By the way, uh, Paul recognizes and God recognizes that we have needs in our own lives that need to be met. So Paul is acknowledging that fact, but he's, he's saying basically, hey, there's a limit to that. And it's not only just, uh, what's that phrase, navel gazing, I think is what that is. Not only just looking at your own life, but there's something more to it. So he says, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so Paul is here talking to the church, and he's challenging them uh, about the way that they should behave, which also flows out from belief system that they would have about the others. And so when I hear this big picture thing, um, and I go, man, this is tough. What's Paul saying? You know, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others, consider everyone as more important than yourselves. And this is my, and I'm just being totally honest here, this phrase is where I go when I, whenever I start hearing things like this. Yeah, good luck with that, <laughs> right? Good luck with having the right actions all the time. Good luck with being able to put people in front of yourselves all the time. I mean, it feels like that at times for us. And I believe that might be because our belief needs to be changed so that our attitude lines up with it. And so Paul, when it comes to this, he's trying to figure out how how am I going to get this across to the church? How is the church going to assimilate this information um, about this belief that's going on here about people and belief about the others and belief about our standing among our peers? In the world around us, just like in Paul's time, uh, there was the imperial way to do things, the powerful way to do things. Those who were in power got their way. <laughs> Those who were not in power had nothing to say. 
And so he's looking around, trying to figure out, how do I, how do, I do this? Because I can't find anybody to imitate, obviously, except for one person. And that's Jesus Christ. So Paul, after giving this incredible list of beliefs, this foundational thing that the church should have about other people, um, he says, this is how we should live, but we fight against it because sometimes our attitudes seem to get in the way. Have your attitude ever gotten in the way of relationship before? <laughs> okay, yeah. So this is what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. This is super interesting. It says, adopt the same or imitate the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. You should have the same attitude. Other versions say you should think the same way. You should have the same mindset as Jesus. So we should imitate Jesus in his attitude. So if the attitude reveals belief, that means there's something under this attitude of Jesus that we're going to find out about here in just a second um, that actually drives Jesus to have this kind of attitude. Do you understand what I'm saying? That there's a belief down there deep in the core of who Jesus is, and attitude is revealed about that belief, and this is what Paul is telling us to look at. Look at Jesus' attitude, and you're going to see something deeper in his life. And here's, here's, here it is. So what attitude did Jesus reveal? What was his mindset? So attitude flows from belief. Here we go. Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 6. Now, this next passage here, next five, five or six verses, uh, this is what's called in, um, in the book of Philippians, it's called the Christ hymn, H-Y-M-N, uh, the, the Christ hymn. And this is a very, very early church song that you could say, uh, maybe a series of, um, of statements that were made by the early church to help them grasp who Jesus was, and having a proper belief about who Christ was. And so they, they created this even probably before Paul. Paul might be quoting this, uh, this Christ hymn that was already existing in the church. Uh, but this is what he says. So you should have the same attitude as Christ, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Remember that word, exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Other versions say taking on the form of humanity, just like he's fully in the form of God, now he's fully in the form of man. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Something very powerful is happening here in what Paul is teaching the church. And he's asking the church to take a look a little bit differently at who Jesus is and, and what he came to accomplish. So with Jesus, what's Paul saying here in the Christ hymn? What is it that he's revealing? First and foremost, he's revealing that Jesus is fully God. You know, he did not consider equality with God, as other versions say, as something to be grasped, something that he had to fight for. He already was fully God. And since he is fully God, he already has all power and authority and influence and can do anything he would like to do, right? Because he's got that phrase, who died and made you God? <laughs> you heard that before? Okay. So he is absolutely God, has total power, total authority, and total influence. Anything he wants to create, I mean, created the world, right? He could do anything he wants. In the Roman world of Paul's time, just like ours, the powerful rule. Political system had the haves and the have-nots, and the have-nots were exploited 
marginalized, controlled through fear. Does that sound familiar to our world today at times? Created separation and anxiety. So the coming of Christ in power as fully God was the prerogative of God. But, and this is where the attitude of Christ is being revealed by Paul. He said this was not something that Christ was going to exploit. This is not something that Christ was going to do, to use, to lord over and to make his will be done. There is something here that Paul is revealing and saying he emptied himself in humility and he gave himself. That is so unexpected, folks. That, that is so far beyond what anybody ever would expect God to do. And yet, well, if you could, and I've, I've shared this with you before, if you could take all of the gospel, all of the Bible story, and you were to put it into one single short sentence, this would be it. God gave. That's the bottom line. That bottom line core belief in who God is, that, that, that bottom line thing of who God is, is that God gives. And because God gives, his son Jesus Christ comes to earth, fully God, fully human. What does he do? He gives everything. Everything. Everyone knew, and this is from N.T. Wright, everyone knew how worldly emperors behave, and Jesus did the opposite. His self-emptying, his humility, his obedience to the divine plan, even though it meant his own cruel and shameful death, all this is the complete opposite of normal human behavior, normal imperial behavior. The result is that the cross establishes the kingdom of God through the agency of Jesus or through the action of Jesus, the cross, the cross. And this action is not something that Jesus did despite the fact that he was in God's form and equal with God, but rather it's something that he did because he was God, because it's the nature of God to give. In whatever way the New Testament tells the story of the cross, the story of the cross is always the story of self-giving divine love. This is the story of the cross, self-giving divine love. I'm going to invite the band up as we uh, start to close out. So Jesus gives himself, and Paul is saying this is the attitude that we are to imitate. We are to imitate Jesus in the giving of ourselves. So how does this show up? As a father, I am not to lord over my children my status as father. That's not my role. It could be my role. I could exploit that role and create, a, uh, create an environment within my home of, of, of authoritarianism. And, uh, um, and even the Bible says, don't, don't exasperate your children by disciplining them in a particular way, right? So I could, as father, do that. But what I'm being challenged to do is to not exploit my position as father, but that I humble myself and I give of myself to my children. Some of us sometimes will read the Bible in, uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, deal with husbands and wives, and husbands the head of the household, and therefore as a positional place, 
we can do what we want. We can exploit our position of power. No, that is not at all what it's saying. What it's saying is that, make sure there's authority, but what happens is, is I begin to humble myself and serve and give. Maybe you're in a position at work where you're an owner. Uh, or maybe you're a manager or an executive or, or whatever that is in your position, what do you do with that position? What attitude is shown by the way that you live the life that Christ has called you to? Do you exploit that position? Or do you allow that position to be a place where the humility of the cross of Christ is revealed in your own life? So that core belief for Jesus is others are important. Others have value, <laughs> and in this case, I am second. Position is for others, not for myself. Could it be that God has raised you to a position of authority and power so that the gospel of Christ can be proclaimed in a way that has never been proclaimed before, and it shows up through your life of giving, your life of humility, your life of giving of yourself? Now, the great thing about the way the Christ hymn is, uh, is structured is you have the first half that we just read talking about how Christ humbled himself, gave himself. And then right smack dab in the middle of this, this whole thing, it's, it's kind of like a chiastic structure. Going to get dig deep here for a moment. A chiastic structure. You have something on one side, something on the other, and sandwiched in the middle, just like peanut butter and jelly. That is the important part. The bread is incidental, right? So right in the middle is the important part. What is in the middle of this Christ hymn? died on the cross. That is absolutely central to this. So what happened on the cross is a self-expression of love that made the world. The cross stands at the center of the story of Jesus, of Israel, of the human race, the creator God, and his world. This is where the biblical narrative finds its heart. So you have on one side the humility of Christ. You have him ex expressing this idea that he gave everything. What do you see on the other side? For this reason, God highly exalted him, verse 9 begins, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So why did God do this? Why did God the Father do this and grant this in Jesus' life? started off on one side when he said, I'm giving it all up. I'm emptying myself so that I can humble myself and give myself. And God the Father looks and says, now exaltation is your reality, my son. And it's in the shape of a cross that all of this takes place. This tells me this should be the shape of our life as well. The shape of the cross that we should humble ourselves, we should consider others over ourselves and better than ourselves, that we should give ourselves so that the gospel of Christ can be expressed. A number of years ago, um, I haven't always had the best attitude in life. <laughs> there are times it shows up, and uh, I was a youth pastor many years ago in Greeley, Colorado, and uh, I was working for Pastor Jim at that time. And uh, we go to a minister's meeting in downtown Greeley, and uh, I was all excited to be there, meeting some other, you know, some other pastors and stuff. And I was feeling pretty good about my role as a youth pastor at Greeley First Assembly of God. And, uh, you know, meeting other pastors, and we were all dressed appropriately, and, you know, and, you know, whatever. So it was just a great time together. And then in walks through, uh, through the door, in walks a young adult lady, 
and I struggled immediately. My attitude stunk to high heaven. Why? She had the audacity to have tattoos. She had piercings, and uh, I was just, you know, in, in clothing that skirt was a little bit too short. I mean, all of those things. And instantly, you know what happens in my heart? Judgment. You, you shouldn't be here. You, you, you shouldn't be allowed in here because this is ministers, right? We love Jesus. And so the morning, the, the time progresses and everybody starts uh, sitting down. And what happened? What was the last seat open? Right next to me, and here she comes, sits right next to me. So I turn away from her, and I talk to the person on my left. I was bad, okay? I'm telling you, folks, it was bad. And I start talking to the other pastor next to me and all that stuff. And eventually, you know, the Holy Spirit's are working on me and all that stuff. So, so I turn, and I, and I just, hi, my name's Rich, you know, just the bare minimum. It's very small talk, and eventually I just said, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. How can you how can you dress like this? How can you look like this? I don't. I mean, this is, I tell my youth leaders, don't look like this. And, you know, a little more small talk as we're talking about this and everything. And she said, let me ask you a question. Is it okay? She said, how many teens have you led to the Lord this last week? I said, Wednesday night, we had like 70 kids in our youth ministry and got a chance to preach all those kids. She said, no, 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 no. How many kids, how many teens have you led to the Lord this week? I said, zero. And she then proceeded to tell me story after story after story of kids who had come to Jesus. And folks, I got to tell you, my attitude stunk God convicted me because I had a belief that was at the core that she did not line up with what I believed God wanted. So I went out after that and I got tattoos. I'm covered. No, I, um, <laughs> no. but what I realized was my attitude revealed a belief that I was actually ashamed of because I believed that she was incapable of doing what I was able to do as a youth pastor. And later on, we worked together on a couple of other projects in, in Greeley, and, and honestly, it radically transformed my attitude uh, towards that outward appearance versus what was going on inside the heart of somebody who was radically transforming the downtown area of Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City, of Greeley, Colorado, in a way that I would never be able to reach. And I realized, God, forgive me for that attitude that stunk in that moment. So who do we imitate in our attitude? Who do we imitate? Because who we have, or what our attitude reveals is a base belief of what we believe about the other person. If we believe that others are created in the image of God, if we believe that Jesus Christ died for all humanity, doesn't that hopefully affect our attitude online or in person, right? It doesn't matter. Doesn't that affect our attitude if we believe the right thing the way that Jesus did? Jesus believed that we were worthy of his life and his death. Which is why we're going to celebrate communion together this time. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. You can take the uh, communion elements. 
And uh, if you could turn the house lights up a tiny bit for us. If uh, you're here today and you did not receive a communion uh, cup when you came in, uh, if you could just raise your hand really quickly uh, right up here. Um, got a handful of folks. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you ushers and everybody for making that happen. Uh, upstairs, I know we'll be able to get to you as, uh, as well. So keep your hand raised until we got you covered. We don't want anybody to miss out. We practice what's called open communion, what we call open communion here at Life Church. You don't have to be a member of Life Church in order to take communion. We just ask that you be a member of the family of God, that you have chosen to follow after Jesus as best you can, imperfectly as it is, right, for all of us. We're just saying, all right, Lord, we're following after you. That's uh, who is able to uh, take communion uh, today with us. Has everybody been served at this point? All right, great. So you can go ahead and take the, uh, the wafer element, hold it in your hands. I'm going to pray over it here in just a second. Um, Jesus gave. That's, that's what this emblem or the, these emblems talk about for us. Jesus gave his best, his heart, his life, his body, everything he gave. Why? Because he believed as the people that we are created in the image of God, that we are worth it, folks. In God's eyes, we are worth it. He wants to transform us. He wants to change us. He wants to, to challenge our lives, every bit of us. And it shows up first and foremost in the bread. And it says that on the night he was betrayed, that Jesus took bread and he broke it. And after he broke it, he blessed it, right? He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Lord, we know we didn't deserve it. We know still to this day we don't deserve your broken body for us. But Lord, in mercy, you gave yourself. And you revealed an attitude in that where you put others above yourself. Jesus, we are so grateful for that. And we are humbled by that as well as we recognize that the image of God is in all of humanity around us. And Jesus, we should do the same as you. And Lord, that's give ourselves and allow others to be ahead of us. So God, check our attitude and help us, Lord, to honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. We can partake together. It says in the same way he took the cup after supper when he had blessed it, um, and he passed it around. He says to drink this and that this cup is representative of a new covenant in his blood. There's going to be a new reality because of what Jesus, they didn't know that just like 12 or 14 hours from that point, Jesus would be dead. They had no idea the disciples didn't. So those 12 or 14 hours later when they realized that they took the cup and they drank and when Jesus said, this is, you know, this is a new covenant in my blood, it took on new meaning. And for us, this is our forgiveness of sins is represented in what Jesus has done on the cross and he has set us free. We should have the same attitude as that of Christ. So Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. That, Lord, you set us free because of that action that was done and the cross that stands at the very center of your plan. And so, Jesus, we are grateful that we have the opportunity as the body of Christ to celebrate together and believe, Lord, that you have a plan for our lives because, Lord, you died for us. 
to set us free from our sin, to partner with you in this incredible creation, this incredible world around us, to be able to share the gospel of Christ with those who are in the image of God. Lord, we love you. We praise you for that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and take together. I don't think there's any better way that we'd be able to celebrate this is just one more time uh, singing the song that we learned a little bit earlier. Uh, All hail King Jesus, right? Because in that end time, uh, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is uh, is Lord to the glory of the Father. Stephen? All hail the Lord. check our attitudes. And God, where our attitudes need alignment, God, I pray that you would dig deep into our hearts and allow our beliefs to change, God, especially about the other. God, those who don't even have the same beliefs as us, help us to realize that, God, you have created them in your image. God, those who have different political beliefs, help us to remember, God, that they were created in your image. And that, God, we as the people of God are responsible for bringing the gospel of Christ to those who don't know you. Lord, help us to have the same attitude that puts others above ourselves. That, God, we would walk in humility. And, Lord, the story of our life would match up with your story. That, God, you give. And so, Lord, help us to give. Lord, we love you. We praise you this day, God. We give you all the honor and all the praise. Lord, help us to walk out of here in boldness. Help us, God, to walk out of here knowing that you have called us, you've redeemed us, you've set us free. And, God, we can walk with our heads held high because, Jesus, you have changed our lives. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We will see you next week.